Tonight, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, uh, Paul's uh, recorded second letter. And uh, as you can probably have picked up, uh, I love teaching. And a part of teaching is, is I just think that uh, there's thing, when, the more you know, the more helpful it is in understanding the Bible. Uh, this is Paul's second recorded letter. Historians say that actually Paul wrote four letters to the church at Corinth. Two of those were not included in the canon of Scripture, uh, but we do have two that are. And, uh, and I think of the, the fact that Paul had to write four letters is because they must have been Baptist. They had so many problems going on, Paul had to reach out four times to them. And if you're not familiar with Corinthians, you've got to go all the way back to chapter uh, to 1 Corinthians 1. And uh, there was, uh, that, uh, there was a, a household, a family in the church called Chloe. And uh, the household of Chloe actually wrote a letter to Paul uh, after Paul left Corinth and said, Paul, we are having some deep issues. I mean, some big time problems. There is divisions, there's schisms, there's immorality, uh, there, there's, they're taking each other to court. Uh, I mean, they're, they're abusing gifts. Uh, they're, they're treating the Lord's Supper like a party. I mean, it's just a mess. And so Paul writes a letter, the first letter of Corinth, to address those issues. And then uh, he comes back and writes a second follow-up letter uh, to deal with more issues. And, uh, and at the end of the letter, uh, here in chapter 12, Paul, Paul's struggle with the church at Corinth was that in, they said this to Paul, Paul, when you're with us, you're this meek and mild and sensitive guy, but your, letter, your letters are scathing, they're hypocritical, you're, you're being bold, you're being proudful. Who are, you, who are you to think to tell us what to do? You're claiming to be this apostle. I mean, and they're, they're just really beating Paul up. And here in chapter 12, I, Paul gives to us a, a little bit of insight of his personal life, his personal testimony. And tonight I want to begin reading in verse number 1, and, and I'm going to read all the way down through verse number 10 uh, for you tonight. I want you to follow along, and we're going to look at, as I mentioned this morning, we're going to look at Paul as an example of God designing a particular desert for him so that he could embrace a God-given limit. And I want to unpack that for us tonight. So look at chapter 12, verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which are not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of, my, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest, at, uh, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth uh, me to be, and that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted 
above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, I just want you to know, and, and I don't, I, remember I told you we, we, uh, we celebrate our limits. We make them public. Remember that this morning? Were you, were you here this morning? Say amen. amen. Okay. So, uh, I want to make something public to you. When I got into college, I failed English twice. And it wasn't because I didn't understand English. It was I didn't know how to spell. I failed every spelling test in college. Every one. And, uh, and so Pastor, uh, Pastor Rydell and I had the same English professor, and he was ruthless, ruthless. Uh, he made us write these one-page papers in, in, in cursive. If you had one misspelling, it was an F. If you had one punctuation out of place, it was an F. So I failed it once, took it again, passed. Then I took English 102, failed it, and I'd take it again. But I thank God for English because when you read the Bible, English is very important. Look, look if you would, because you miss this if you're not paying attention. Look at verse 7, and where he says, there was, there, was a, uh, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. What is after flesh? What is that symbol? A comma. That's a comma. That's important. So what Paul's doing here is he's, he's, he's not... He's not describing the same thing. He's giving a list. There was a thorn in the flesh, comma. Messenger of Satan to buffet me, comma. Lest I should be exalted above measure. That's that's one thought. Look at verse 8. For this thing, the things he just listed in verse 7. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice... Now, if you live in Jersey, that's three times. That it might depart from me. And he said, the Lord, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says then, as a response to the Lord, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Remember this morning in Luke 4, after the temptations, how did Jesus leave the desert? Remember how it said it? He left the desert in the power of the Spirit. What did Paul just say here? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you see the correlation? Power came as a result of something. Verse 10, therefore, now I know you've been taught this. Whenever you see a therefore, what do you ask? What's it there for? Okay. Therefore, as a result of verse 7, or, or verse 8 is a result, or an answer to verse 7. Verse 10 is an answer to verse 9. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, say it with me, then am I strong. What a powerful, powerful passage. Paul here was taken to, he's describing a designed desert 
that he was taking, that the Lord had taken him into to reveal a limit, to give the gift of a limit to Paul. Now, uh, would you write down Galatians 1? It's right there on the next couple pages. Galatians 1, 15 through 18. I'm not going to read that, but I want you to reference it if you do take notes. Paul describes there that after uh, he was on the road to Damascus and was knocked down by the light of, of Christ and, and the Lord gave him his uh, commission and told him what he was going to do, uh, that Bible says that after that he went into Damascus and uh, did a few things. But in Galatians, Paul tells us in verses 15 through 18 that instead of Paul going directly to Jerusalem, that Paul went into uh, the Nebatine Arabian desert, the wilderness of that area, the, uh, and that he uh, was in that Sinai Peninsula of desert region for three years. Can you imagine being in the desert for three years? Some say the reason, uh, this is speculation, but some say the reason it was three years is because how many years was Jesus with his apostles? Three years. Paul was an apostle. An apostle had to be directly taught by the Lord. And so uh, Charles Stanley said this. He said, what happened during Paul's desert years was only the beginning of a lifelong process. God renewed his mind and transformed him into the image of Christ. I personally believe, and I want to clarify that, that I believe that Jesus drove Paul to that desert for three years for the Lord to directly teach Paul so that Paul could therefore qualify as an apostle. And in that time in the desert, we see that Paul began a lifelong process of God renewing his mind, transforming him into the image of Christ. Now, there's not much scripturally that Paul talks about that desert experience. However, from example of others in the Bible that have gone into the desert, that did go into wilderness, we can conclude that God took Paul to the desert to remove, reveal, and humble him so that he could come out of the desert into the world in the power of the Spirit to, fa uh, to face uh, the opposition in God's power to fulfill God's purpose and plan for his life. It's what I believe the desert was for Paul. And so I want to repeat what I said this morning, the same, the same uh, key thought, what I call my sermon in a sentence. God drives us into designed deserts that are meant to reveal His gift of limits and our desperate need to embrace them willingly. You, you've got now... I want to. I want to. I didn't have time this morning to do this, as you know. I, I really talk fast, but I run out of time faster. But I do want to take just a, a few moments and, and just talk to you a little bit about limits. What are limits for you and me? I just want to give you some, just some word pictures to help you maybe get a grasp. Marriage is a limit. Do you recognize that? Marriage is a limit. That means you can't go out with anyone else after you're married. Amen? Do we still believe in that? I hope. <laughs> singleness, singleness is a limit. 
Health problems are limits. Cancer is a limit. Uh, your job is a limit. Children are a limit. I remember when we had our first son, I, 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 you quickly learn, you just can't go do whatever you want to do anymore. My wife was a great mother. Uh, we almost packed up the house every time we went out with our son Luke, you know, when he was born. And I mean, we had li literally, if she could fit the kitchen sink in, she would have done it. We had 13 changes of clothes. We, we had, you know, 100 diapers. We told, I mean, but it's a limit. It limits what you can do with children. Now, it's not bad. It's just a limit. Uh, money is a limit or the lack thereof is a limit. Uh, some of you would like to go out and buy a new Tesla, but you're limited because money is limits. Do you, do you see the picture? There are all kinds of things in our lives that are... Age is a limit. Sad to say. Childhood is a limit. Being a teenager has limits. There, there, are, there are numerous things that God has us in different stages of life that are limits to us. Retirement is a limit. Having aging parents can be a limit. Are you seeing it? And God, watch this. God designs these for your life. He gifts these to you and me. He drives us to the desert for us to see that you need this limit in your life at this time. And we're going to see from Paul, why was it that Paul needed this limit in his life? And why do we need these limits in our lives? And, and how, how does that... What does that do for What do these limits do for us? So number one, Paul, the reason I believe Paul needed this limit in his life is that Paul had the propensity to be prideful. Paul had the propensity to be prideful. Look at verse 6 and 7. He says, For though I would, I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Uh, Paul is saying, if anyone has the ability to brag or boast or make uh, himself known for his God-given gifts and abilities and talents, it was Paul. Paul, listen, Paul... Paul, can, can you imagine, Paul was able to see things and did see things that no one else saw. Paul understood things from God that no one else understood. He says, it, it, unless I be exalted above uh, abundance through the revelations. In other words, God is revealing things to me that he hasn't said to anybody else. And this could cause pride to swell up in me and swell and to overtake me. And, and by the way, Paul had some other things in his life that could cause him the propensity to be uh, prideful. Uh, he had heritage and education. Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 and 6. He was schooled in the best schools. Uh, he comes from the best stock. 
He, I mean, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He stuttered under Gamaliel. I mean, he had education. He had heritage. Uh, listen, no one had uh, a bigger uh, uh, pride about his family background than Paul did. Not only that, but he had an extraordinary conversion and calling. I don't know any one of us in here that one day you were driving your car and a light caused you to wreck from God. And then you heard a voice of God from heaven speaking to you and saying, hey, what are you doing? That hasn't happened to me. I don't know what else has happened to, but it happened to Paul. Paul heard directly from God and was saved and called in the ministry. Paul had an amazing heritage and education. He had an amazing, spectacular conversion and calling. And then he says in our text that he had an abundance of revelations and a miraculous ministry. I mean, if any guy, I would say it this way in 2019, if any guy had a right to write a book, it's Paul. I mean, he, he should, he'd be a number one bestseller. I mean, he would be, every church in America would be calling Paul to come speak. I mean, he was that kind of caliber of a guy. And Paul says that I, 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 I was, I'm concerned about pride in my life. Isn't that interesting? Lest I be exalted above measure. He was concerned about pride. Pride is defined as a high opinion of one's own dignity importance, merit, or superiority. All of us have personal worth because what, of God, what God has done for us. However, however, we are to be careful not to think more highly of ourselves than what we really are. Romans 12 verse 3 says this, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Here's what Paul said. Paul says, I have a, a, a bent. I like using that word bent. Paul says, I, I have a bent in my life. In other words, and maybe I'd say it this way. I am easily tempted. You remember, remember in, in, uh, in Hebrews? I know you do. Uh, Hebrews uh, 12. Remember when he says that we're to lay aside those weights that so easily beset us? Paul says, something that is easy for me to fall into is to be full of pride. To think of myself better than others. Because look, I, I got a PhD before there was a PhD. I, 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 Jesus talks directly to me. He came from heaven and showed up, and, and we, we had a conversation. We, three years I spent time with Jesus. I mean, listen, look at all that I've done. I've traveled all over the world, and look at the churches we've started and the conversions we've had. And man, I, I, and Paul said, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm bent. I'm bent to be prideful. And here's what I think Paul is saying to us. I am bent to live outside the limit of humility. Not to think of myself, I, I, I struggle with thinking of myself that I'm more than what I really am. 
And it's outside the, that's outside the limit of what God wants for me. And so Paul says, I really struggle with this. Paul, you know, Paul was saying to us, I know myself, but the Lord knows me better than I do. And God knows you better than you know yourself. And what you may not think you struggle with, you probably do struggle with. You have some bents in your life, some things that, you know, you just kind of give to. And maybe, you know, I, I, just, I just can't help but, I just can't help but gossip. I, I just got I to tell somebody what I know. I just can't keep it to myself. Or, or maybe I'm kind of bent towards judgmentalism. You know what judgmentalism is? Thinking you're better than someone else. Thinking, and by the way, that's inside the church. I'm better than them. Man, you know, you get in the car with your, your, your spouse. Whoo, I'll tell you what, they just hadn't got there yet. Jesus just hasn't gotten them there yet. I'm sure glad I, I'm sure glad I know how to dress when I come to church. Don't look at me that way. <laughs> Judgmentalism. We're better Christians than them because fill in the blank. That, that's, that's pride. That's pride. Or what about, well, you, you know, um, I'm, sure glad, I'm, I'm sure glad preacher preached that message tonight because so-and-so, they needed that. No, I, I mean, I've been there and done that, but they sure, that, that family sure needed that. Or, or maybe, maybe you know what, I, I don't really particularly care for so-and-so on that side of the church, so I'm going to stay on my side of the church, and they stay on their side of the church, we'll all be okay. They don't need to come over here, and I don't need to go over there. That's pride. It's thinking of yourself more than what you should. Highly, more highly than what you should. Let me ask you this morning. Or tonight, whatever time it is. You have church at five. It's like right in the middle, you know. Let me ask you, what is in your life that you have the propensity of doing? What is your bent tonight? What is your temptation? What is your struggle? Remember what I said this morning? We got to get out of this, you know, smoking, drinking, and cussing, and chewing, and running with those that doing. There, there are way more deadly sins than that, by the way, that nobody sees and nobody knows but you and God. What, what is your bent tonight? Are you, are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on that tonight? Paul's was his propensity of pride. Secondly, let me show you this, and as a result of that, as a result of his propensity to be prideful, secondly... Paul is taken into a painfully entrusted desert. Paul is taken into a painfully entrusted desert. Look at verse 7. He says, as, as a result of this struggle, there was given, the middle of verse 7, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. This, was, this, this is an amazing revelation to me, and maybe you already know this, and, and I I'm, I'm hope you did. But God, in this verse, it is revealed to us that God, with intentionality, cared so much 
about Paul's spirituality, Paul's personal relationship with God, with himself and his future, that he gave Paul the gift of a limit. This was not out of punishment. See, we think, we think limits are punishments. God's punishing me. No, 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 no. God says, I love you so much. And I care more about your spiritual life than you care about your spiritual life. And I know what you need more than what you need it. So I'm going to give you a gift, Paul. I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a limit. Because it will benefit you far more than anything else in your life. We don't view limits that way, do we? We view them as hindrances. If I could just be like so-and-so, if I could just do what so-and-so had, if I had the talent of so-and-so. No, God says, I'm going to give you not more talents. I'm going to give you more limits. I don't have time to develop this, and maybe, maybe when it's my turn next time. Remember the story that Jesus told about the, man, the, the, the three men with the talents? One had ten, one had five, or three or five, or one had one. Now watch this. God gave the man one talent. Just one. He gave another ten. He gave another five or three or whatever it was. But he, he only get, he, he, he's very sparse with talents. But he's never sparse with limits. He gives way more limits than he does talents. Do you know why? Because we need more limits than we do more talents. Because the more talents we have, the more propensity to be prideful we are. The more limits we have, the more weak we see ourselves to be. That means I need Him. I need more limits, not more talents. And so Paul says, there was given to me a gift. Now, most of us would not consider this particular gift of God much a gift. But Paul refers this to this as a gift that was given, and he describes it as a thorn in the flesh. Now, the word thorn here is not your little thorn you get off a rose. This thorn was a sharp stake. Think of it as like a railroad spike. Paul said, there was given to me a railroad spike size thorn. That's big. That's cancer big. You, you, you follow me? This is big stuff. It was painful. It was sharp. It represented pain and irritation and suffering. And he says, it was given to me in my flesh, which denotes a place. It wasn't just an emotion. It was a place in his body, his flesh. I believe he is referring to his physical body. Now, Paul does not go into great detail to name the thorn in his flesh or what it was, but possibly it could be that he didn't name it because the Corinthians already knew what it was. They were already aware of it. My opinion, and I always want to clarify when I speak what my opinion versus what the Bible says, but my personal opinion is that Paul's infirmity had to deal with his eyesight. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11, he says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. Here's what we need to know. Paul rarely wrote his letters with his own hand. He always had somebody write them for him. 
Very few of the letters he wrote that he sent to the churches were written by his own hand. Galatians was one of them. And he said, with the idea when he says a large letter, he doesn't mean in the length of content, what he means in the size of the letters. Why would he write large letters? How many of you have bifocals? No line bifocals, no line trifocals. I'm getting there, but I'm not there yet. Why do you need those? Because you can't see, you're blind. You need things to be made bigger because you got eye problems. Paul wrote a large letter in size because I believe he had eye problems. That also leads me to believe why he recruited Dr. Luke to go on his trip with him. He needed a physician, a doctor, Dr. Luke. Now, now accompanies him on a second and third missionary journey. Then he says, notice what he says after a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Then Paul goes on to say that it resulted, this thorn in the flesh resulted in a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Satan, as we saw the last two weeks, Satan buffeted Jesus in the desert for 40 days during his time of prayer and fasting. Now the word buffet refers to harsh treatment from someone. Now follow this. Railroad size spike. I mean pain, irritation, suffering in my physical body. On top of having to deal with that, there was a messenger of Satan to come and treat me harshly with that going on in my life. Now here's how I think that translate for us, translates for us. Is that the Lord gave to Paul this limit. And the devil would come to enhance Paul's suffering even more by telling him, what are you going to do? You can't even see. How are you going to travel, Paul? Paul, how are you? What do you, what do you think? Who do you think you are? You can't even see. How are you going to write letters to churches? Paul, this is in the Greek too. Dude, you are, you are blind as a bat. How are, how are you going to minister to the, to the elders and the, the churches? How, how are you going to get there? How are you going to write? How are you going to teach? How are you going to... By the way, Paul, not to mention, you're in constant pain all the time. How can you focus to pray? A thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to buffet him about his thorn. Can you imagine that? And look at what Paul says at the end of the verse. Lest I should be what? Exalted above measure. God gave me this gift of a thorn and allows the messenger of Satan to come to me lest I live my life pridefully, thinking myself to be more than what I really am. Doing more than what God wants me to do. Here's what Paul's saying. Lest I should go outside the limits that God has put on in my life. See, this gift was meant to keep Paul within the limits that God has put on to him. Can you imagine that what that messenger said to Paul? Paul, won't you just quit? You've done enough, Paul. Just, just quit. 
Don't worry about it. There's, 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 there's other apostles that can take care of this. Don't worry about it, Paul. You don't need to suffer like this. Let me ask you, are you there tonight? You feel like that? You have that limit, you have that infirmity, you have, you have that thorn. What is your thorn in the flesh? It, it may be painful, it may be an autoimmune disease, it, it may be a, a marriage, it may be a spouse, it may be a child, it, it, may be, uh, it may be your job, it may be family. Listen, I am convinced every family is dysfunctional. I've got one, you've got one. Some of you got more than one. I mean, that, that could be the thorn that causes you ongoing pain and irritation and, 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 and suffering. And, and it, could, it could be cancer. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if you know much about cancer. If you've had cancer, you probably can resonate with this. Once you are diagnosed with cancer, cancer never leaves you. Not in here, up here. Every pain is the thought, is it back? The days you don't feel good, what, is something wrong? I, since, since, my, since my surgery in December of 16, when they took out a, a foot of my colon, I've been back to the ER twice because I felt something. One, one night I came home from church and, and we had a, uh, it was, I think it was in December, a matter of fact, uh, we got done with a funeral and I was pushing some carts and I got home, I took off my suit coat and, and uh, ended up in the bedroom. I, my chest was hurting so bad, like almost I couldn't breathe and I got my wife in there, we jumped in the car, went to the ER. You start telling hospitals, hey, I've had two cancers and blood clots in both lungs, they start panicking. They're putting low, robes all, I mean, they're, they're checking everything. Because you don't know. And, and we were there and they, they immediately took me into a CAT scan that night, and, and, uh, which I knew was going to happen. And, and the doctor comes back and the first thing out of the doctor's mouth is, well, we, we think we found some swollen lymph nodes. And it is like, are you kidding me? My wife said, uh, wait a minute, what size are they? He says, well, what do you mean? She goes, listen, last time he had lymph nodes the size of lemons. She, he goes, oh, no, it's nowhere near that. Okay, we're okay then. But it's always there. It's always there. See, there are some things in your life right now that no one else knows because you've not gone public with it. There are some thorns in your life right now that's been there for years. For years. And they have limited you and you have still tried to ignore them and go outside the limits because you wanted to be something that God never intended for you to be. Now, your pastor sitting here, I love him. He's my friend. And he knows this to be true. If, if, if I'm lying, he can get up and turn and tell you I'm lying. There is not a pastor. Did I just die? Okay. There's not a pastor. He just cut me off. Hit the mute button. <laughs> There is not a pastor I know that does not want to pastor a growing, thriving church. We are never satisfied with this Sunday's numbers. We want to keep growing. We want to keep growing. I mean, if we're at 300, we want to be at 400. If we're at 400, we want to be at 500. If we're at 500, we want to be at 1,000. And I want to tell you, I was there. 
I lived it, I breathed it, I ate it, I drank it. It consumed me for over 20 years. Until somebody helped me realize maybe God has just limited you that you'll never pastor a church over 300. You may never pastor a church over 150. And that's God's limit on your life. Do you know what that does to us? It's like God taking the sledgehammer and knocking pride right off our body as if it were our head. It sucks the wind out of us because we have a, we're just, we're built that way, man. We just want to succeed. We want to, we want to have something. We, we want to do something great for God. when you realize, you know what? Maybe that's my pride. And God says, hey, Gary, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going I'm to give you the gift of cancer. And I'm here to tell you tonight, and I've told you this before, and I know because I've, I've, I've spoken about it before, cancer for me was God's gift. That's how I view it. That's how I see it. It was God's gift to me. 2014, I was diagnosed, and I tell people all the time, I did not do cancer well at all. I'm not some spiritual giant. Don't come to me and go, oh, we're so proud of you. Don't even say it. I want to hear it. I did not do cancer well. Uh, there were times I was mad at God. There's times I said, God, you can have this. I've given 20 years of my life to serve you, and, and your, your reward is cancer. Are you kidding me? I've got two teenage sons. What, what's what's going to happen? And then, not to mention, three months later, I find a second cancer. I, I didn't do it well. I'm just telling you, I'm being honest. I'm being very transparent with you. I, I did not do it well. And I read a book of another pastor in California. And it began to help me to see this is actually a gift. That I was living my life and my marriage and my family beyond the limits of what God intended me to live. And he gave me a thorn in the flesh called cancer. And it's always here. And it could come back at any moment. See, cancer patients are never cancer free. It's just kind of turned off. At any moment, it can turn back on. And then they cut me open and took the foot out of my colon. Gee, thanks, guys. And now I've got, I've got things I can't, I, I've got new limits because where before I loved to play basketball and, and now, I mean, for two years, I couldn't even, I could not run up from one side of the court to the other and I couldn't run anymore. I had new limits that I had to learn to embrace. And then the messenger of Satan would come. Just quit. Just give this up. See, see, you'll never be anything. Nobody knows who you are. You live in South Jersey. Who in the world cares about South Jersey? Listen, you're never going to do anything for God. You're, listen, you're in, this, you're, in the, you're in this church in the middle of nowhere, farmland. And you know what? They don't, God doesn't care about you. Just quit. Just give up, Gary. Just, you know what? You've got cancer. Isn't that enough? You've been through two cancers. Most people barely make it through one. You've had two. Listen, you've done enough. Just get out and give up. 
And you could view this one or two ways. You could say, you know what, forget my limits. I'm going to do it my way. And you walk away from God. Or you can do what Paul did and embrace your limits and see them as a gift from God. Let me finish and I'm done. Paul, Paul offered a prayer of deliverance. Look at verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice for South Jersey three times that it might depart from me. Now Paul took this painful, discouraging, tormented time in his life to pray. How many times did he pray? Three specific times he said to God, God, remove this thorn. God, remove this thorn. Now, we see in other places in the Bible, Jesus, for example, was in an intense time of suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed to his father how many times? Three times. For God to deliver him. I, I don't know the significance of that other than to this. That this just wasn't some kind of pass-by prayer. Hey, God, if, if it's okay with you, I'd like to be okay now. No, no, no. Paul was just not simply praying for help. Paul was dealing with the suffering of this thorn in the flesh, and he implored, he begged the Lord to heal him of this thorn. God, I could do so much more for you if you would take this limit away. I could be so much more effective if you would remove this out of my life. I could be so much more for my family and for my church and for my pastor and for my friends and for my job if you would just remove these limits from my life. And God answered his prayer. But he did not answer it the way Paul requested it to be answered. Here's his answer. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. Hmm. Not the answer you're looking for, is it? Not the answer you're wanting, is it? I want it taken away. God said, no. Instead, now watch this. Instead of taking it away, I'm going to give you grace. Now, there have been 101 different definitions for grace. I'm going to give you my definition for grace. Grace is this. It is God's supernatural enabling. Supernatural enabling to live life the way God wants you to live it. Now, think about that. God take away the thorn. Take away the messenger. No, Paul. I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to take your limit away. Instead, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to supernaturally enable you. In other words, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to give you supernatural strength, strength outside of you. You can't produce this. You can't weightlift train for it. You can't read a book to get it. You can do nothing yourself to get it, but I'm going to give it to you myself. And that will enable you to go through this life 
with the thorn and the messenger. That's power. See, we think power is a hundred people get saved tonight. Oh, no, 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 no. The power of God is enabling you to get up tomorrow and face another day. The power of God is enabling you to love that spouse who is emotionally or verbally abusive. Supernatural grace is that enabling to love that child who's making all the wrong choices. Grace is supernaturally enabling you that when you are so depressed and so discouraged and you just want to give up, to get up and face another day. That's grace. And Jesus says this. Jesus said, Paul, I would rather give you my grace than remove the thorn. See, you don't need the thorn removed. You don't need limits removed. You need more grace. That's what you need. It's what I need. I need more grace. Now, now, now we're going to finish up and we're done. And I'm going to make my prayer. Look at verse 10. And here's my last point. Paul not only offered a prayer of deliverance, but lastly, Paul procured a power that was not of himself. Paul procured a power that was not of himself. He said, most gladly, in the verse 9, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in what? You know what that is? Celebrate. Paul says, I celebrate my infirmities. I celebrate my thorn in the flesh. I celebrate it. I take pleasure in mine infirmities, in my reproaches, in my necessities, in my persecutions, in my distresses for Christ's sake. For when they beat me down, when they beat me up, when I am at my weakest and feel I can't go anymore, grace and through grace, then I am strong. I can deal with this, not because I can do it, because the grace of God strengthens me to do it. And Paul procured a power that was not of himself. When you and I are placed into the realm of God and God's supernatural gift of grace is given to us, it enables us, it gives us favor. It is a, it is a dynamic force that totally transforms our life. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. You know that all grace there means? Multifaceted. God has grace. God has different kinds of grace for the different kinds of thorns you have. He's able to make all grace abound towards you. 
always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, he tells us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace is abounding. Romans 5, 2 says that we have our standing right now in grace. In Acts 4, verse 33, the apostles were given great grace. Jesus, in John 1, 14, the Bible says he was full of grace and truth. John 1, 17, that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. In John 1, 16, the Bible says that believers have, watch this, they have received grace from God in order so they can receive more grace. Here's what he's saying there. God gives me grace to enable me just to receive His grace. That's how powerful grace is. See, we think, I need this taken away so that I can be okay. No, God says, no, what you need is you need the thorn, you need the limits, and you need my grace to enable you to live within that limit. The Bible says about grace is that when we deny grace in practice, that we refer, we go back to living independent of God. See, when you deny God's grace to live with your thorn, you're saying, God, I'm going to live independent from you. I don't need you. I'm going to do it myself. And I'm going I'm to give you some wise words right here. You ready? They're from Dr. Phil. Here it is. How's it working for you? How's it working living independent from God? How's it work trying to deal with that thorn yourself? How is it? How's it, how's it, how's it working for you to deal with those messengers of Satan that buffet you? See, when you deny God's grace and you reject God's grace, you are living independent. I'll do it myself. And it doesn't work. You see, not only did God want Paul to know his grace, but God also wanted Paul to know his power. He wanted the Apostle Paul to be humble and also to be strong. When you and I are in the fires of affliction, God uses this to burn off pride and self-confidence. Not until you and I are out of answers, out of self-confidence, out of self-strength, where nowhere else to turn, only then can God in the desert reveal to us that our need is His grace and His power. That's the desert to find more grace. Now, what is is my action step? What is your action step that we learn from Paul? Number one, just be thankful. Be thankful for the thorn. Be thankful for the limits. Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities. I'm just thankful. Be thankful for it. Listen, when you get to the place where you say, I thank God for cancer. Woo, that's big. I thank God for my, I thank God for my, my child that's struggling. I thank, God for, I thank God for the disability that my family member has. I thank God that I have this infirmity, this struggle with, with, with this disease. I, I thank God that I, 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 I... And you fill in the blank. What is it that you can thank God for the limit He's given to your life? 
Be thankful. Be thankful. I don't want to be thankful. Listen, I understand. I didn't either. I, I, I totally get it. But Paul said, I take pleasure. I, I, here's what he's saying. I've stepped back and I realize now, grace is greater than the thorn. His strength is greater than what I can produce. So I thank you for my infirmities. I thank you for my persecution. I thank you for my distresses. That's what Paul is saying here. Your first action step, be thankful. And number two, enhance the gift of your limits. Now, what do, you, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 10, or verse 9. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, glory in my infirmities. Now, I'm going to close my book, and I'm done, okay? I did not know this, so this is not privy to me. I, I, didn't, I, I would never come up with this alone. I learned this from, some, some of you know Dr. Keene. Has been, Dr. Keene's been here, hasn't he? You know, you know Dr. Keene. He, he was my mentor in ministry. Uh, matter of fact, that's, that was Carrie's pastor growing up. And uh, I actually worked in Milford, and Carrie was a teenager when I was there. My wife and I were there. And uh, so Carrie and I go way back. And, uh, and I, I learned this from Dr. Keene. I want to give it to you. The, there, there's a particular Bible dictionary that takes 57 pages to define the glory of God. Now, do you have time, do you have time to read those 57 pages? I don't. So, here's what Dr. King said. Here's how Dr. Dr. King took 57 pages and defined the glory of God with two words. And here it is. Reputation enhancement. Did you hear that? Reputation enhancement. When we give glory to God, we are enhancing His reputation. We're, we're, we are giving an accurate representation of God to others. Give glory to God. What am I doing? I'm reflecting back an accurate picture of God back to himself. Giving glory to God. I'm enhancing his reputation. Now, what did Paul say there in that passage? I closed my book, but if you still got it. He said this, I will glory in my what? Infirmities. I will enhance, I will enhance, I will make known my limits. Remember what I said this morning? What do we do with limits? We hide them. We cover them up. We don't want anybody to see them because, what, they're shameful. They show I'm weak. And bless God in America, listen, especially New Jersey. New Jerseyans, New Yorkers, you can't be weak. I, I, I preach for a friend of mine out in Oregon. And the, Oregon, these were trailblazers. I mean, they settled the West. You, there are no weak people out on the West Coast in Oregon and Washington State. These people are pioneers. Don't tell them they're weak. They hide weaknesses. We hide weaknesses. You know what Paul says? I'm going to actually enhance mine. I'm going to glory in my infirmities. I'm going to, I'm going to enhance them. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to wear them proudly on my sleeve so everybody knows. I'm limited. I'm limited. I'm limited. It's okay. 
Would you say that with me? I'm limited. Say it with me. I'm limited. Now, you know what? Everybody knows you're limited. How's that make you feel? Well, I mean, hey, all right, all right, somebody knows. Now, watch this. What if you told them your limitation? Well, I couldn't do that. Yes, you can. See, because when I, when I, tell, when I tell you my limitation, hopefully you're going to tell me your limitation. Then you know what, we, you, know what you and I can do? We can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. I'm not judgmental of him because now I know his limit. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making an assumption about him. I'm not, I'm not judging him. You know what? He's got limits. I've got limits. And, and if we know our limits, then we can understand one another and we can serve together. And I know where you're weak and where you know where I'm weak. And, and I know where you need help and you know where I need help. And then watch this. Before we know it, we're actually doing this thing called church together. Imagine that. Because every one of us are limited. Pastor's limited. He's limited. Tyler's limited. You're limited. You have thorns in your flesh. And when we say, you know what? Here it is. Here's my limit. I want you to know what my limit is. Because I don't need you to judge me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to build me up. I need you to come alongside of me and let's pull this together. Let's do this Christian life together. And then all of a sudden, watch this, all of a sudden you're now functioning as a New Testament church. And the world out there doesn't want to come in here because we act like just they do. See, they cover their limits too. They hide their weaknesses too. They don't want you to, they're proud too. But when they come into a place and, hey, I, I need help, I can't do it. Do you know what they do? That's different. Man, I want a place like that. What do you have that I don't have? Oh, it's real easy. His name is Jesus. And Jesus says he gives his strength when you're weak. Go figure. Man, what a deal. Aren't you glad you got that kind of Jesus? Be thankful. Be thankful. And enhance your limits. Enhance your limits. Glory in your limits.